Here comes a 2-1. Left side. Moustakis. Warriors win the pennant. Don, it's been a while since you have uh, been in the basement with the scurvy. <laughs> yeah, it was you, bad. You have emerged. Yeah. How right. are you feeling? Good. I'm still feeling it, but I'm recovering. I had a nasty, I get like once a year migraines. I got, uh, one, I got one yesterday. Uh, so I'm still feeling that and getting over the cold, but I'm back. What is a migraine and how do you know you have that and not a headache? I never knew I had them before, but I get what are called like ocular migraines. So like a half hour to an hour before I get it, my vision starts to get where I can't focus. Like I get blurry uh, vision and then like a half hour, hour later, I get pretty intense headaches. That has to be the worst hour. With like blurry, after you get the vision. And yeah. I ran and I'm like, well, took migraine pills and the pain wasn't too bad yesterday, but I don't know. You just feel think people call them floaties or whatever. You just what are margra- migraine pills? What is that? Like a special kind of Tylenol or whatever? Yeah, it's got caffeine in it, essentially. Like if so I'm, like I'm not a coffee drinker, but if you're a coffee drinker and you get a migraine, like they drink some coffee, it'll help you. I don't know why. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I don't get them often enough to ever have it checked out or anything. But And what do you do suck. for the scurvy? The scurvy, I just uh, waited it out. Orange juice? Yeah. Probably have OJ, you- yeah. soup. I like spicy food when I'm sick. So yeah. Like, what did I get that was spicy? Tacos or something. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Don, hit the hit the button. Uh, the fluid situation button? <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm pushing an imaginary button on the podcast, but there's no... It's sort of a fluid situation. We do have... Well, you were gone last week, so we should talk about this. So while you were gone last week, we had uh, Jeff Perlman on. That was great. It was fun, right? It's just me and him just... There's no agenda. He wasn't promoting anything. Yeah, and it didn't even sound like it. He sounded like... Almost like you just call the dude that you know and just talk to them. It was really interesting. Yeah, and what's funny about it too is we had talked for twenty minutes before. Really? And I was and it's it was like two in the morning here. Yeah, when you were done you said yeah. it was like three AM. Yeah, yeah, so and um we had talked for like twenty minutes. I was worried during that twenty minutes that we ruined the good stuff, the good surprise on you or whatever the line is for Big Daddy. Beforehand? Yeah. But um no, that was really good. And Katie Baker was on also. And Katie Baker was like nine months pregnant. So it's like the, yeah, whole, the yeah. whole time I was like hoping her water would break while we were doing the interview. She like was maybe good. we could get some, some publicity on that. Like Katie Baker of Grantland had her baby while on the air on the sportscasters. She, she was good too. Don't get me wrong. I always like when Katie's on. Uh, she's not as comfortable, I don't feel like, with these things. Like so we She has to realize – that we're nobodies when she talks to us and be a little more comfortable. But, right. but she's good. She was good. Yeah, well, and she had written a, a beautiful, yeah. blubbering piece about how much she loved Buffalo. Right, yeah. So I wasn't going to not talk to her about that Absolutely. Buffalo thing. No, she was good. Yeah, so Katie and Jeff were on. And then, <laughs> so you were kind of day-to-day with the scurvy last week. Right. You know, I was like, the first day I was like, nah, I'm definitely out today. And then I checked in the next day and you're like, nah, I think I'm still down. And then I think on the Thursday, you were kind of 50-50. I'm like, you know what? I'll just do it myself. Mm-hmm. By then, the interviews were recorded. 
So let me just bang it out. So I'm sitting, I'm like, should I call like a Lazarus type and do a guest? Okay, yeah. And I'm like, then the problem with that is we get talking too much. And we, I already had an hour and 45 minutes of interviews recorded or whatever. Right. You know, so I don't want to get in a situation where I'm going to bring a Lazarus on and really three things is going to be an interview with him. So I'm like, no, I guess I'll do it myself. And three things, the whole intro section was like five minutes maybe. You know, I said, Don's not here. This is what's coming on. You don't want to hear me go on and on, so I won't. I like when you mentioned, it might have been during the book club, that you had a segment you were going to do with Tammy, but you were worried it was going to be a bust, so you didn't do it, and then you did it anyway. <laughs> yeah, and I was kind of getting to that. So then I, I was like, well, you should. So it's just sort of debating whether or not to do it, like because there was a perfect opportunity to bring her in mm-hmm. because of the Lamar Odom mess right, right, and right. the crossover into her Kardashian world. Yeah, right. Because really up to that point, everything I knew about it was sort of through her relaying the Kardashian world version of it. She's been keeping up with the Kardashians. She always is, yes. Okay. So I knew it would be a – I was just like, she's not going to be loud enough. You know, um, I won't be able to get her to talk into the microphone. <laughs> you know, it's just it's going to be a bomb. You know, Tammy, so then, Tammy, I will say this about the interview. She's like she is in real life, kind of. <laughs> like, she's kind of quiet. But, like, if you get the ball rolling on something, like, you can, like, almost hear the excitement in her voice and, like, she's, when she's into it. Like, so, by the end of it, she was really into it. Yeah, so then I got to one last thing, and I didn't. I was out. I was tapped out. Yeah. I mean, because it, it's like a two-hour podcast where I had said everything that the guest didn't. Right. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to try it. And then just by the end of it, I think I was just like, I... Just this, I just got to get out of this. I just got to go. So I just, <laughs> I hit the music. Um, it is season five, episode 34 of the Sportscasters, October 29th, 2015. Uh, Eddie Trunk is on the podcast. That's that's over there already. Sweet. Uh, recorded and, and in the, it's in the cut and ready to, to go. Does that hit Eddie, sports at all? Uh, yeah, we talked, he's a Mets guy. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, we talked about that a bit and... Um, we talked about that metal show and uh, working with the TV network, VH1 Classic, and what goes into that and the renewal process of the show and will they do more because Jim Florentine has been really sort of sounding like they're not doing more. Okay. Um, and it sounded like Eddie tried to bring it back the other way a that little bit. That show's been on forever. I think they've done 14 seasons wow. of it, he said. It's not necessarily years because sometimes you do more than one. Okay, right. You know, but yeah, Eddie's going to be on and we'll enjoy talking to Eddie Trunk. Uh, from that metal show. We like doing something different yeah, yeah. like that once in a while. We talk about Rush, uh, some other things. Now, the other guest I think is going to be Jeff Passan. Now, here's the thing. We're recording on Tuesday, and the World Series game one is tonight. And I knew I wanted to do, to do a World Series guest right away. But it's like, what do you do? Do you talk to someone before game one has been played and try to get this up as soon as Don leaves on Tuesday when we're done? So I had the other their interview already recorded, so that's kind of an option. Uh-huh. You know, do you wait and let games one and two be played? Because that's game two will be over by Wednesday. By the Night, time you know what I mean. Hear this. You know, so maybe I wait and we put it up Thursday. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what we're gonna do. And I'm gonna talk to Jeff after game two. Like, so I, I think literally Jeff and I are going to talk like at three in the morning because he's probably gonna have to see the game. The game's gonna have to end. He's gonna have to go downstairs. You have to write his column. And then he'll call me. He's like one of like two people this would be an option with. Right. You know, it's just because of the relationship we have with Jeff that I can even say to him. Yeah, I'm always going to relate. Why him. don't you call me at three in the morning? I'm, I'm always going to re- relate him to like 
the first podcast and the Royals. Like he's just going to have that connection. Right. And the Royals are in it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's what I think is going to happen. Now I've, I told Jeff as well, look, if you don't want to do that, that's okay. You don't have to say yes to me. We don't have to talk on Wednesday. I should know this, but they play two, two, one, 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 right. For baseball. No. Oh, they don't. No, it's a two, three, two, I believe. Two three two. Okay, but either way, I think after the, that I, game, there'll be a day or two yes. off. Okay. So I think this will go up Thursday with Jeff Passan and yeah, Eddie that, Trunk. That makes the most sense, I think. So, all right. Uh, then we can start this with three things. Then let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Count of three. One. Alrighty, I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, and we'll get started with the World Series. And it's a, it's kind of a really fun matchup, I think, with the Mets and the Royals, uh, the winners of the 1985 World Series versus the winners of the 1986 World Series. And neither team has won since then. Okay. So, you know, one way or another, we've got about a 30-year streak coming yeah, that's cool. coming to an end. Um, and the Mets are exciting because they're New York. And then kind of Kansas City is the exact opposite of New York, especially in the world of va- baseball. You know, you can't have a much different market than New York City. Sure, yeah. You know, and Kansas City. And then you got pitching, really good young pitching for the Mets, kind of being the driving force. And then there's almost this, like, wonder... You know when the when the Royals traded traded for Cueto, it's like are they going all in? Do they are they worried that at the end of this year the first domino is going to fall of like them not being able to keep this team together? You know the Hosmers and the Gordons and whoever else Mustakis is this the end of that? So is it? We'll talk to Jeff more about that and we'll see where they're at after two games. But personally, I'm just I'm excited and I, I ask you as I always do when we get to events like this. Uh, will this bring you to the television? We we were talking. You did watch. I told you. I said, fun baseball game. Watch this with me a bit. You're talking about something else. Yeah, I think I had it on already. Oh, did you have it on already? Yeah. Yeah, because my wife actually asked me. It might have been that same night. She goes, why have you been watching so much baseball lately? Like, she's not in. I mean, if, if I am not, I, I don't even know how I would classify her as a baseball fan. Just like non-existent one. It doesn't, like, she has no idea who's in the World Series right now. But uh, I've been watching. Like, I always say I, I I almost never sit down at the beginning of the first and get to the end. Of the, it could be challenging at times, yeah. But uh, yeah, if the sab- if the Sabers aren't on and the kids are in bed and I'm just sitting on my laptop or something, baseball has been on. And is the World Series game sort of a perfect nightcap to a Sabers game too? You watch a Sabers game, it ends nine thirty ten. You flip it over and you're in the sixth inning of the baseball game, and it's yeah, like, all right, sure. let me finish that off. Especially right that there. last Sabers game was so aggravating. Yeah, we'll get to them. I want to talk about them a little bit. But, yeah, so I'm excited about the World Series. I'm excited. Um, I don't know. I guess if I had to make a pick, I'd pick the Royals just because they had that experience of losing a Game 7 last year. Yeah. For some reason, we value that. I don't know if that has any actual value, but I'm going to credit them with it and say that there's going to be some moment where a guy like Hosmer is going to be up there and the experience of being up there in a similar spot last year is going to help him through it. And that'll be the difference. If Toronto was the best team, according to uh, who was the interview? 
two episodes Jonah ago. Carey. Jonah Carey. Yeah, that's what he said. Uh, the best team. Are one of these the second best team? I would have guessed he would have said Kansas City was second yeah. best. Yeah, that's kind of what I would have thought, too. So, yeah, I guess that's who I would pick. Not that it, my opinion matters on this, but uh, it'll be interesting. I'll be pulling for the Mets because I always somehow gravitate toward the underdog, and I think my mom 100 years ago used to like the Mets, and I had one of those oversized Gary Carter. Is that the right name? The catcher. Yep, Gary Carter. Yeah, you got baseball it. cards. Yeah. I don't know why I had it, but I had one on my desk when I was a little kid, so... Yeah, so we'll talk. Uh, it'll be interesting because when three things is over, we're probably going to be going to Jeff Passan and two games will have been played. Yeah. So we'll see what Jeff Time has travel. to say. Yeah. We'll see what Jeff has to say about how that's going so far. Um, as for the NFL, so how about did you did you follow the Ryan Mallett saga over the last few days? Yeah, in my little world, I kept trying to think of like a clever tweet to send out, and I just ended up doing nothing. But like, it had something to do with an alarm clock company hiring him as a, like a sponsor. <laughs> like, this guy's a mess, and you could see it on Hard Knocks. Like, this is the first year of Hard Knocks I he watched like, start to finish. He looks like a dope. He looks like a dope, and there's certain guys. When EJ Manuel got benched last year, and uh, this isn't saying anything about EJ Manuel's ability to actually play football, but... He said everything right. He said, when I get back on the field, I'm going to let it loose. I'm just going to play. Harder, right. I'm going to do whatever. Mm-hmm. Mallet, and for all accounts, his work ethic since then and his life as a teammate has been unbelievable. Sure. You don't hear about no, EJ no. Manuel saying, fuck all the way or whatever. Like It seems like Mallet has. When Mallet lost that job to Hoyer on the show, essentially, it looked like sour grapes. And then the very next day, he missed the practice, right? And it was like they were screaming to him. We wanted to give it to you, but day in and day out, the consistency wasn't there. Right. And I think that what's played out since is exactly what they meant. And I hate when the te- when the Texans are so bad, right? Yeah. Seems like they're down 40 to nothing every time. Uh, and then they maybe get two or three touchdowns and they lose, you know, by 20 or something. Yeah, Brian Hoyer looks like an amazing quarterback if you only look at fantasy football numbers. Yeah, he's great down 40. Right. He's maybe the best <laughs> in the league at it. But um, I hate when the, the Hard Knocks team does bad because... I know you like those it makes guys. Me feel like, and then it makes me feel like other teams aren't going to want to do Hard yeah, Knocks. Yeah, yeah. I know they have the rule in place anyway where they can just tell a team to fuck off and you, you know, you're doing it. But yeah, I, I, don't, I don't feel like it's related. I just feel like, yeah, I just feel <laughs> just like, like they're not that talented. They just sucked. They had two really good players, and one of them's done for the year. Right I now. thought it's pretty interesting, too, how the Bills and the Saints season seem to be just trending in different directions. Oh, yeah. I feel like we were sitting here just a few weeks ago. So we talk about our teams now and again because we feel like people care about the, what we think about them. And I know it's true through emails and through tweets. Okay. You know, because people are always, especially on Sundays now, I definitely have a Saints Twitter following on our feed, mm-hmm. you know, of people who know I'm watching and will want to talk to me about things. Um, but it feels like a few weeks ago we were looking at the Bills as the team that look at they're going to be the better team this year. They're they were like compete. a top ten. They're a top power ranking legit everywhere. Yeah. yeah, and since then they're losing to the Jaguars on a neutral field, which you would think would be Jaguars are one and five squeaking one out. I like the Jaguars. I, I mean, I like, you know, what they're doing. And I, yeah, I, I was joking around during the game. They're going somewhere. They're a really good one in five. And I think that, <laughs> that, that, might, no, that might be true. That, that might but, be true. But, I mean, I was I was so pissed at that You'd game. probably rather be them than the Texans, I would think. Just oh, as, yeah. a, as a comparison. Yeah, I think so. You know, yeah. So, you know, maybe it's trending somewhere. But just to lose to them is still inexcusable for a team with the goals that the 
the Bills had. And the Saints are sort of a little bit justifying my knowledge of them in the sense of I was saying in the beginning, look at the first quarter was going to be tough when you're switching 27 out of 53 guys. And not to mention that guys like Keenan Lewis and Jarris Bird and LRB aren't going to be on the field right away. And we're starting a lot of rookies on D and it's going to get better as it goes along. And I think after the first game, I said, look, I saw stuff I liked. And then I think after the second game, I said, look, we lost because Drew Brees got injured in the game. And then I think after the third game, I said, look, Drew Brees didn't play. Yeah. And all that stuff kind of sounds like excuses. And I get that. But I sort of feel like what they've done, and there's still work to be done. I'm not saying they're like the contender of contenders now. This, or this is going to be they're a about, They're a three and four team. They're, they are what their record is. But I just feel like this season is going to end for the Saints. And the narrative is... What two or three things can we do to be one of the best teams in the NFC for at least one more year with Breeze and Peyton at at the uh, helm as opposed to after three weeks when the narrative really was, enjoy it, this is it it for Breeze and Peyton. So that's all I was saying. Yeah, I mean, the trouble this year is even if they make it to 10 and 6, the two teams ahead of them have such a head start. And it yeah, really they're probably, they're, they're not going to win the division, but they absolutely could. Uh, there's, a wild card? You know, three and four, or four and three, I think, is leading the wild card right now. So oh, they're okay. Three and four, so. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> watch, if that team gets to like 9 and 6 or something, this is going to be the most annoying season for you as far as fantasy football goes. Because if they keep going the way they're going, other than Ingram, there's not really a reliable fantasy. Like, they're not the Saints that people know, and they're going to be like, What's wrong with Cooks? And you're going to be like, they're winning every game they <laughs> played. Yeah, no, I look at. I'm just, I, I've said all along, it was going to be a challenge in a lot of ways this year, you know, and it has been. But what I was hoping I'd see, I'm seeing. So yeah, and I got, and I got to feel like you feel like your expectations for the team have sort of been betrayed in a way. Yeah, the Bills, um, in a lot of ways. I've, I've always said that football is the most hindsight. Like football commentary is more hindsight driven, I think, than any other sport. And as soon as the game was over, I got on Facebook and I'm just like, lose every single game. And I, I think I kind of still feel that way. And I'm like, Rex Ryan needs to go, uh, blah, blah, blah. The defense has been okay. They're just not good enough. Uh, but the expectations were high this season. I didn't expect them maybe to win the division, but be a wild card team. And that. That went away when they lost to the Giants because that's a team I feel like, okay, this is the maybe more than any other game they had played up to that point, that was a good test. Like That's a team that feels like if you're good, this is the type of team you beat. And they weren't even really close in that game. And then they had to like squeak out a win against the Titans. They got smoked by the Bengals, which is crappy but okay, and then you lose to the Jags. So the way I see it, when you lay the season out ahead of time, like, the games they were supposed to win, they've now lost two of those. So now I feel like they need to win two games that they're not supposed to. And I just don't know who they're going to do that to. And now the Jets look really good. Right. So and they maybe might the not. Do- maybe the second Dolphins game is at least harder. Tough. All right, harder. Right. So, I mean, they don't might, they might. The Texans might be the only. And the Redskins are maybe the only two games I look at their schedule and think they're definitely winning those games. Uh they had a tough schedule to start the season, and it just doesn't look any easier now that some of the games have played out. And what sucks about all this, maybe more than anything, and I, this could have been my one last thing, I guess, is EJ Manuel blew that game for them, but they lost it on one terrible officiating call. That game, it would have been 4th and 15. Oh, yeah, that, if they, I, I get that, but the problem with that 
and and look at your argument. There is probably fifteen games in the league this year where there's been a call like this on a, in a fifty fifty game, right? That went wrong and went against the team. So I'm not saying you're wrong. It just I guess, but a- you, you because the officiating is so bad and there's so many flags, you can't turn it over five times anymore. You can't because well, no, you not. open yourself right. up to that happening. To absolutely you. not. I and the point of the game definitely magnifies that call like because maybe there's a terrible call like that in the first quarter that everyone forgets about and it goes away but that makes it fourth and 15 on an offense that really hadn't moved the ball at all that day for a game that they got beat what are they 34 31 uh two of the touchdowns the defense wasn't even on the field and the third one they gave him a third ej gave him a 30 yard field so i mean 21 of the points came for an offense. it was that sort of that, the same way for the jags or something right like the Bills' offense only scored like fourteen points or something as well. Yeah, it was like all in. There's a lot of weird streaks for yeah. the Bills, like maybe for the Jags. Too. I got to be honest. I woke up at ten to one, and there was like three plays to go. <laughs> but it um, was horrible, and they just. You know what? Maybe they're still a okay or good team, but the expectations was to make the playoffs. So if they're not going to make the playoffs, I don't want to be eight and eight again. That's where they were, leading up to being a good team, and I, I just someone has to be accountable for this. And if I'm going to complain about something else, I guess I can complain about injuries. 8-8 eight and eight isn't as bad, though, as it was 10 years ago when you have an organization that's more committed to keeping guys, not letting their talent walk away. It's like you'd get to that 8-8 eight and eight point and you could never get right, past right. it because then Nate Clements would be out the door yeah. or, or whatever. And I think it's maybe a little bit different position now. I guess what I'm watching the rest of the season for, I'm not actually going to – this isn't going to be – me watching the Sabres actively hoping them to lose. Uh, but I guess what I hope is that uh, Tyrod Taylor is the real deal. Like, get him yeah, back in that. there. And if he's the real deal, then maybe they don't have to draft first overall next year to get a quarterback. Uh, the Dolphins have a linebacker as a hashtag right now. That's Crush Brady. Um, oh, yeah. I want I want their coaches and suspended. I want everyone. That's a, <laughs> that's a bouncy. I want that done. Last thing real quick. Clearly in Buffalo, we can't have nice things, right? Evander Kane is out four to six weeks uh, with a knee injury that as soon as I seen it, I said, oh, that's an MCL. Um, So I could just tell it's a classic hockey injury. That's an MCL. And maybe the same way that you, when watching football, say, oh, gee, there's an ACL, you know, or whatever. But uh, it's disappointing, and they're sort of off to a slow start. But it's kind of been okay. Because I've kind of enjoyed watching them. Yeah, it's going to get like something about yeah. yeah, something about the team that's sort of uh, fun to watch. No, I wanted to open something up. Don and I are actually having a hockey debate. And there's one part of it where I have no idea if he's right and I have no idea if I'm right. And I want more people's opinion. And that is, is Jonathan Quick good? <laughs> I, because no. Don says he's not. No, and no, no. I think he's very, very fucking good. He's not as good. But I'm questioning myself. He had so. that crazy good run. And I think that's skewed a little bit by that run. Because he was pretty average in the other cup run. And he's never. I don't even. He's haven't even been all that close to a Vezna in his career, has he? Like he's been a finalist. Yeah. He's been a finalist, but I mean, so everyone's a finalist. Three. If you look at like pro hockey, no, I reference, think like a top three finalist. Oh, okay. Like, you know, he was at the show. Oh, okay. Because I was gonna say like a pro hockey reference, they'll list like Vesna seven. Like that. No, I think finalist means okay. Top three. Top three. Yeah. No, I think he's a good goalie. He's not. Uh, 
Because what was the question you posed? It's not Jim Carrey. Who was the last cup team to win a cup with a dominant with a goalie? Great, I think you said great goalie. Great goalie, yeah. And I said Quick isn't a great goalie, and you said no. So I, no, I don't know. Year, yeah. I don't know who's right. And then the iran the ironic thing to close that all out is like the very next day he made the save of the year on oh, really? David with one second left. Although probably he didn't make the save. You didn't see this? No. So it's the Kings and the Oilers and. The Kings are up by one in the last second, and McDavid had a wide open net and goes to give it a tap tap, basically. And Quick comes out of nowhere uh, and saves it. But they couldn't. And they go to review, and it was called no goal, so it stayed no goal. But probably it was a goal. You know, like it's under that giant piece of equipment somewhere, but you don't know where, so you have no way to know if it's across the line. But the fun part about it was I got to troll some Oilers fans that night on Twitter and got some arguments because <laughs> I right away tweeted that I could like put a top top oh, yeah. shelf and yeah. just buried it left no doubt uh, but I don't know tell us what you think about Jonathan Quick um, at sports underscore casters on Twitter at Don Lake Sports and uh, the sportscasters at gmail.com is this been too uh, local yeah or, okay I was going to say like how interesting is an Evander Kane discussion but we no can- I just left that real quick Okay. Yeah. All right. We're going to stop and we're going to come back and talk about the World Series. All right. Uh, our next guest is my brother in Rust Belt Hood from Cleveland, Ohio. He's a graduate of Syracuse. He appeared on the very first episode of this podcast and has come on in the strangest places and times ever since. He's making his 11th appearance on the show today. A warm welcome to our buddy Jeff Passan. What's going on, bud? What's up? So I just got a text from you, and uh, I'm going to read it, and I'm going to tell you how it went. It, it, I read it two ways in my head, okay, because it's just so everyone knows, it's 225 at my house. It's 125 in Jeff's car. He has a flight like in five hours or less. Who knows? No, like like four hours. Four hours. Okay. So not good. not good. So Jeff sends me a text and it says, "I'm good to go. Let's do this." So now, if you're me, you can look at, you can read that two ways in your head, and I did. There's one way, and it's like, "I'm good to go. Let's do this." It's like a passion to be back on the show. And then the other way is like, "All right, I'm good to go. Let's do this and get it over with." Like. God, this guy seriously wanted to do this at two twenty-five a.m. Doesn't he sleep? So that was uh, the. Inter- is there, is, isn't there an in between though? Yeah, but I didn't have time for like the third thing. Those are just it, you know, just I just had those two extremes real quick, and then I accidentally called Jeff Perlman while probably in the uh, <laughs> in the confusion of trying to decide if you really wanted to do this or not. I, I always want to, especially when I'm in the car. That's the best time to talk. Right. You know, you sh- I should try to, to convince you sometime to do it without your hands-free kit to see if we can yeah. to see if we can get the police to get you and then to see if you telling them, listen, I had to record an interview for the sportscasters, will get you off the ticket or not. It's like as an experiment to see about the widespread reach of the show. Hey, number one podcast on iTunes, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, and at, at my mom's computer. <laughs> the iTunes at my mother's computer ranks number one. We're so proud. Um, do you, we played your fight song from Syracuse. I thought of a great idea for you. 
Do you have, do you have like, okay. a connection to the university? Like, are you a rah-rah SU guy, or do you go back? I'm the, you... absolute, I'm the absolute furthest thing from a rah-rah SU guy, because the, the sports information department at Syracuse when I was there uh, treated me like crap. Oh. So my, my affinity for Syracuse is uh, not a... Well, if you change your mind, I thought of the perfect plan. You can you can agree to mentor Jackson Delabate. That can be like your right. thing. You can be Baba right, Bowie's right. son's like mentor. No, no you're past. No. You're not a fan of Jackson Delabate. You have no idea who he is. Did, did that just go over? I'm, your head? I'm guess I'm guessing he's Gary Delabate's kid. Yeah, he goes to Syracuse now, and uh, it's kind of it's kind of in the news because like, so Baba Bowie is a big Mets fan. That's right. And I guess him and Jackson are, I guess, friends in this fandom. And Gary flew him in from Syracuse for the um, one of the playoff games against the Dodgers. And he put something up on Facebook saying, like, I almost didn't do it because the plane. And I'm glad I did it and didn't miss out on this time with my son for a couple bucks. And Howard just ripped him on the air about it. So he's planning on doing this again with Jackson for the World Series, and he unfriended Howard so Howard wouldn't see the next picture and pick at him, and Howard found out, and it was a whole other thing. So I don't know. I don't know why we're recapping the Stern Show, but... I, I, I definitely think it's not Yeah. Yes. Hey, man, I got 25 minutes. Let's spend 15 of it recapping this week's Stern Show. Okay, let's do it. I, 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 ex- I expect no love when coming on this podcast. <laughs> It's generally sweeping 70% complete bullshit, and then there's like 30% of the Okay, but it's the World Series, and you just went to two games, so let's get on, let's get this back on the rails, because here's what I want to know first. So yesterday I went to bed, like around this time, like the game was ending, maybe a little earlier, and um, I was like, oh man, these two teams are just so evenly matched. This is going to be such an epic game. Or series, and tomorrow, that's the Mets game, you know, with the Grom going, and it's just going to be this long, great series. And then the game today was more like the Royals taking a stranglehold. So someone is someone who witnessed both, do you feel more like the guy who went to bed yesterday, probably like me, uh, thinking this is going to be so close and so long, or like the me right now thinking mm, maybe the Royals just grabbed this thing and it's kind of just theirs now? I think we still have a series here. And a two-games-to-none lead is a big hole to dig out of. Because the New York Mets now have to go beat the Kansas City Royals four times in five games. And that's an awfully difficult thing to do with your favorite team that has the skill set that the Royals that matches up so well against what the Mets' strength is, which is power starting pitching. The Royals have shown that they are well capable of handling power starters. Uh, they took care of Matt Harvey in game one, tying things up when he had a two-run lead. Uh, Jacob DeGrom was staked the one-run lead and couldn't hold it under a torrent of singles, and uh, that's bullpen sucks. So you saw another crooked number go up in the eighth inning. Uh, it was an absolute field kicking. And uh, if Noah Syndergaard doesn't come out and pitch the game with like, uh, the Mets are done. Simple as that. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because I try to think of the O two 2 teams that come to mind as teams that lost the games. And the, the team that I think of 
that first comes to mind is the 96 Yankees because they lost, but they lost those two games at home and went to Atlanta, which maybe didn't have much pressure kind of going to Atlanta. And I think that, and and I don't want to get into a big thing like comparing the 96 Yankees and the 2015 Mats or even the 86 Mats who are also down uh, 0-2. But I just think maybe the challenge, and I wonder if you feel this way, uh, for the Mets is that if we use the 96 series just for whatever reason, the Royals are more like those Yankees where they're just so relentless and it just yeah. it just feels like it never stops. And that whether it's a guy like Chris Young pitching three innings or, you know, just the single after single, like you said, the way that those innings happen and not being so home run dependent yet when they need a one run bomb, they hit a bomb. It's like that seems like just like a really hard team to come back from. It is, and I think that the only way at this point that the Mets are going to do it is with a little help from what happened in Game One. If Chris Young uh, has trouble coming out in Game Four, and if Edson Volquez isn't there to pitch in Game Five, he indicated today to Dionisio Soldevia down in the public that. Uh, there's a chance he might not be ready for Game 5, in which case the Royals are going to have to scramble, whether it's bringing back Johnny Cueto on short rest, potentially, or going with Chris Medlin if he doesn't get the next two games. I mean, there are a lot of balls in the air for the Royals, right? So uh, not all is lost for the Mets. They just need to win Game 3 to make it happen. Uh, And I think, frankly, they need to take all three games in New York to make it happen, because... Coming back to Kansas City and winning two games, ballpark is Well, it's always fun to second guess, and I asked a friend of mine who's a Mets fan to message me if he thought of anything from the Mets' point of view to ask you after the two games. And surprisingly or not, I, I didn't hear from him like after this game. Uh, but he did text me earlier, and it was an interesting thought. He was really disappointed with the idea to go to Harvey in Game 1. He felt like Harvey would have fit better in Game 3 in New York. Um, And like I said, it's fun to second guess, so let's pick on the team down 0-2 a little bit. Do you think in retrospect, maybe Harvey would have been better in Game 3 and just right away in Game 1 you go with the guy who's the hottest pitcher in baseball and and, and, uh, Del Grom and and go from there? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say that, but really is there that demonstrable difference amongst the Brahms regard and Harvey at this point? I, I don't know, you know, I'm not sure what the, the machinations were in Terry Collins' mind setting up his rotation like he did, but I don't think he can go wrong with any of those three guys, and I'm not sure that bringing the Brahm out in game one and putting guard to game two is going to make all that big difference. Royals are good against the type of pitcher that's the best pass, and that was the storyline coming into the series. But the fact that Jacob DeGrom and Matt Harvey uh, left games one and two with a total of four strikeouts says pretty much everything you need to know about the Royals' ability to handle them. And uh, we saw it again tonight. Yeah, just so few, not even strikeouts, but even swings and misses at all. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, the fact that Jacob DeGrom did not get a single swing and miss on what is one of the best fastballs in the game among starting pitchers is staggering. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. The, this, the Royals, they really do. They remind me of those Yankee teams, just the relentlessness of it. 
where yep. it didn't matter who was up and it didn't matter what their name was. It didn't have to be Jeter. It doesn't have to be Hosmer with this team. And and then you got the the fear the feared bullpen. It's like, well, if we don't get to him by this point, forget it because they're get into that pen. We're not gonna to beat it. And um, we talked in April, and then we talked in July. And when we talked in April, and it wasn't just you, it was Jonah Carey or whoever we talked to then, the Royals were sort of a popular regression team. And then when we talked again in July, I kind of asked you, like, why didn't that happen to them? And I don't remember exactly what you said, but it was brilliant, spot on at the time. Looking back at it now, halfway to the World Series, well, more than halfway, but halfway in the actual World Series to winning one, what do you think it was? I think a lot of people, myself included, underestimated their offense. Uh, you know, I didn't expect Hendricks Morales to come out and drive in 100 miles. Uh, I, I thought Eric Osmer was going to have a bigger year, frankly, than he did. He had a very good year, but I didn't expect Mike Stockett to mature into the type of hitter that he did. And for Lorenzo Cain to be a top three MVP type player, uh, it, you know, it's just a really well constructed offense. But the fact that you've got Alex Gordon uh, batting eight, when in reality he probably should be hitting leadoff, and the guy who's hitting leadoff instead of Steve Escobar might be the MVP of the World Series uh, at this point after. Being in the right. yes, uh, I think it speaks to the depth of the Royals lineup. The levelessness is the, the greatest quality that they own. They are really difficult to put away. I mean, you need a silver bullet to kill them. And uh, nobody has, has seemed to possess uh, that bullet, that gun at this point. Yeah, and like yesterday is a great example of that. I mean, the game time home run, that's Alex Gordon batting eighth, right? He's eighth? Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And not, I, I don't know of another eight hitter in baseball who could turn around a, a 97 mile per hour sinker and send it 438 feet in the opposite direction. I don't think another one of those. <laughs> right. But I know that this is not this is not a advanced stats thing. Let me throw it at you anyway. I was thinking about this with the Royals going into the playoffs and into the World Series. Um, it's sometimes in sports it seems like Getting close and losing can a lot of times for a team be almost exactly what they need to win. And I, I mean, it also, though, can be crippling for them. We've seen plenty of teams get really deep at the postseason, and then the next year they either falter or make it back and not get it. Look at the Texas Rangers, World Series in a row, still don't have a championship. Right, and and I was going to kind of just say before you jumped in, and like that maybe there's just as many examples of teams who got close and it didn't work out ever again for them. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like you pointed out. But what I was wondering is like, do you think that the Royals are drawing or have been drawing in 2015 from 2014? Is that an edge to them? Because I mean, the Mets weren't even. Close to the playoffs, the Blue Jays not in the playoffs. You know, the Astros drafting first overall for the last. You know, they were the real experienced team coming into to the playoffs. And have they used that, or is that just like a thing we talk about that maybe doesn't exist? 
I definitely think they have used that to what edge it's impossible to find. Uh, game seven became a rallying prize because they happened to run into a guy in Madison Bumgarner had an absolutely historic postseason. And when you run into a guy like that, it's difficult to turn things around. So I think they felt like they got beat, but maybe not by a better team than they were. I think the Royals left last year with a really sour taste in their mouth because uh, if you play that series a hundred times, they might win at 51 or 52. I mean, they're very evenly matched, don't get me wrong, but uh, the Giants in that situation uh, have things lined up well and executed brilliant. And that sometimes, when you're talking about a really small sample, the difference between teams that has bring on a finger and one that uh, has a much smaller, less dynamic trust of bring because uh, winning a league championship at a is not winning a World Series. It's losing a World Series. You know, another thing like that and about is the way that things that happen around the team can impact the team. You know, like we were talking about that 96 uh, Braves and Yankees series, and that year there was a big na- narrative about Joe Torre being in the World Series and his brother sort of fighting cancer, and it became kind of a rallying cry for the team. And uh, I can think of when it th- works against the team, you don't hear as much about it, but that 15-1 Packers team, that lost to the Giants uh, in the playoffs. You know, that was like the week that their assistant coach's son committed suicide. They had to, like, play that playoff game then. And I think that that, when I watching the game, I was thinking about that sort of, that maybe the, the same team wasn't there. Well, you've had a chance to be around this team, and you mentioned it already uh, with the starting pitcher last night and his dad and, and, and the whole story of that. What do you get the sense of maybe how that, the team might be reacting to that or using that or Ned Yost maybe is the one or no one. Where, where does that stand? I think it's one of those situations where if you lose, you're not going to make an excuse and say we lost because of it. But if you win, it's so on the front of your mind that it's impossible to avoid deflating. If you win a mid-strike, I mean, legitimate strike, not just a, you know, the, you know nobody believed in a right. false stuff that coaches managers stuff to just absolutely be stopped. So, you know, real life stuff. Uh, when that, when something like that happens, when it's happened before, like with Mike Mustafa's mother passing, and you know, Chris Young's father passed in September, now it's Vulcan's father dying on the day of his, you know, first World Series. So it's, it, it can be a very powerful thing. Uh, it's not the thing necessarily that leads you to victory, but it's things foremost on your mind when you do enjoy the feeling that comes from that. And it, it's one of those qualities that has, has the ability to bring things together. I do firmly believe that. Yeah, and and, the, and then there's the other side of that, which and I don't know how much, much you guys have gotten to get a feel for the broadcast of the World Series, but Fox has really been patting themselves on the back for kind of like their decision uh, or whatever it was yesterday to not kind of talk about it. And I was thinking, you know, hey, they might have did the right thing. Maybe they didn't. I have no idea. 
But I know for a fact that next time he st- stands on the mound um, in the series, they're going to be talking about that, and they're going to talk about it a lot. Yes. Uh, so. I, you know what? I, if, if I were in that situation, I and this is a very unpopular thing to say because I think the sentiment is that box did it correctly. But I think, you know, if I put myself in that situation, I think I would have been pushing to try and get it on the air. Uh, obviously, Fox was in communication with the Royals. And uh, if you could arrange for it such that uh, you could make sure Evan Smoke is not in the clubhouse when it happens, you get to go ahead then. Uh, and, you know, you get a, a sign where you have to cut things off and say, you know, we're, we're done with this report. If he happens to scander down in there, uh, I think you get the things out there. But I, I get why they did something. It's not a fault that for it. Uh, you know, it, it's a really difficult decision, and uh, it, it's one of those things where uh, you want to handle it with as much grace as you can. And this was a very easy way to handle it with grace. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's probably one of those things too for them. With they're gonna win, or you know, some are gonna say you did it right and wrong, no matter what you do. But uh, the sportscaster are here with uh, our OG Jeff Passan at Jeff Passan on Twitter. Um, he's writing for Yahoo, of course. Uh, he's got a book coming out in April. We can't wait for that. Uh, and let's finish up a couple minutes. How how close are you? Where are we at time wise? I, I lost. Uh, it looks like I'm a mile away from the airport. All right, so uh, let's let's finish up then. Let's figure this out. Let's, Quite all right. I can. No, there's no need for that. You've been kind, far beyond kind already. Um, let's let's just look at. Okay, it's it's two nothing Royals right now, and both teams got on their planes and they went to New York and they're going to stay there and they're going to play uh, these games in City Field. We kind of talked about what the keys are for the Mets, and there's a very very obvious one, like you said, right in front of us. What are the keys for the Royals to not come home without? coming home with a trophy and leaving the Mets behind? Honestly, I think just do what you've done. You know, dance with the ladies in front of you here. And what they've done so far is put the ball in play and make the Mets' defense, which is not good, uh, catch it and get out and have enough starting pitching to get you to your bullpen, which is obviously a strength. They're going to have a very rested way date and a rested enough Kelvin Herrera, uh, and they rested with Hochaver, Ryan Madsen, Danny Duffy, Franco Morales, Chris Medlin. Uh, you've got seven guys right there uh, who are all extremely capable major league pitchers. And to have that, uh, it's just, it is such a great advantage for the Royals, and something that uh, has buoyed them all season long, and I think ultimately is going to end up with them having the franchise's first World Series ring in 30 years. And then if the Mets somehow come back, maybe they tie it right away, maybe it's 3-1, two, two, whatever, and they win it, what do you think the thesis will be for your column that the Mets came back and finished it off? Like, If that happens, what do you think will be the reason it happened? I mean, if the Mets win it all, like, Come all the way back? Yeah, like if the Mets win this series, what do you think? What do you think? I mean, if the Mets if the Mets win the series, the story is that the Royals blew the series. Okay, all right. To, yeah, because they they I mean they have a distinct advantage, right? They all they have to do is win two games. Not have to win four. That's a I mean that is a pretty strong advantage. So uh, the fact that the Royals are in the position that they're in uh, is pretty damn impressive so far, and. 
going to uh, be interesting to see if the Mets uh, can muster what they have to in order to come back. Because look, this is this is not the thing to do. Uh, the Royals are not a team that folds quick, and it's going to take one hellacious performance from the Mets. Uh, to get close, I think, to making this serious. Jeff Hassan writes about this for Yahoo. Uh, at Jeff Hassan on Twitter is the easiest way to find him. Of course, Yahoo.com. You can go there as well. And uh, he's been with us since the very beginning. One of our favorites. Nice enough to do this. We're about to finish up. It's 2.45 a.m. on the east. 1.45 a.m. where he is. He's getting ready to go to New York. Um... He's got to pack his Halloween costume too, so that'll take probably another extra three, four, five minutes. Um, anything else you want to mention, Jeff? And I got a final question, but anything else you want to mention? No, I actually uh, my Halloween costume's going to be a shirt and tie. It's pretty boring. <laughs> You're going as a sports writer to the to the ball game. <laughs> <laughs> the boring existence of October and November, I guess. Um, let's end on this, and I, I don't want to. You got to be careful how I put this, because I don't want like Royals fans to be mad at me if for some reason they didn't win. But question I want to ask you is like, as someone who lives in the city and has covered the team and uh, now covers the team as part of his bigger job to cover the league, would it mean something to you to cover the champion Royals to? be in the city to be a part of it to write about it does that mean anything to jeff pass the writer like not saying you're rooting for it at all i'm just saying like if it happens does that mean something i wish i could say yes because that's the human answer but i'm you know when it just like when it comes to stuff like this i'm just sort of a robot at this point like i it would mean a lot to my kid <laughs> i mean i think it would be cool to see you know, having never, uh, as I was growing up, uh, lived and understood what it's like to have the team that you are rooting for win a championship, uh, getting to see my son experience that at eight years old would be very satisfying. But I'm not rooting for anyone or anything. I don't care who wins. I just want good stories. And the world's a good story, you know? Yeah. Getting to getting to see that, I think, would be cool. But look, the Mets have not won a championship in twenty nine years. Yeah, one year less. They're, right. they're, yeah, they're owned by people who were in bed with Bernie Madoff, and the fact that they could still turn around and win things, I think that would be a really interesting story and something to, you know, something that you you sit there and sort of just shake your head at. And so, either way, it's the World Series. It's October. There are great things happening everywhere. It doesn't make a damn bit of difference to me who wins, and that is the honest truth. And people, I think people have a tough time understanding that and believing that, but uh, you can't get emotional about these things. And that's why it's so great not being a fan, because I saw what my kid was like during game one last night. I saw what my wife was like during game one. And it's 4-3 in the bottom of the ninth. Juris Familia is in there throwing absolute smoke. And they think that the Royals are dead. And they think it with good reason. <laughs> and but, then Alex Gordon hits the home run, and they go crazier than they've ever gone. And you get a 14-inning World Series game, uh, and you get a walk-off hit. And uh, 
I'm sorry, a walk-off sacrifice fly. Right. And, yeah. Uh, that that is it's one of those things that is devastating to Mets fans and uh, invigorating and exciting for Royals fans. And it is the beauty of sports. And I'm so glad that I don't have to deal with any of it. But I just like to be as even keeled as I can. And sports fans uh, have the distinct inability to have that. It's just inherent in being a sports fan. You cannot be even because there are just too many emotional swings. And it's what makes sports great. And you need the lows to have the highs. To truly have the highs, you need the lows. Uh, I don't know that that's true. My My son has never really had lows. He's pretty damn high right now. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Maybe just like as a Saints fan, I just think like when it finally happened, like I don't I know. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe it'll feel, uh, you know, fractionally better, but if there's a 10-year-old Saints fan who's only seen a few years of bad football, right. uh, no, yeah, I that, think he's probably, right. probably going to enjoy it quite a bit too. Oh, that's right. And, and I only sort of believe you about like not – having the passion of sports. I believe you for baseball, but I know, because I seen your Twitter the day that Trent Richardson got traded, so I know there's some Browns yeah, in there, and I know I, you I got like the I feel like LeBron and the Cavs. Though, I sort of have to. I'm not a, like, I'm a fair-weather Browns fan. Like, I don't, I don't care about them right now because they're irrelevant. If they get relevant, or if the Cavs win, I'll be happy for the I'll really just be happy for my dad. Because my dad's pushing 80 right now, and... It's been a long time since he's seen the championship. Right. And no, I feel that way too because, I mean, I've experienced like two championships and one was the Saints, who obviously don't play in my city, and the other one was Yale Hockey, which only was like a fan championship because my brother was on the team. But I always think about how I want it to happen someday for my city because I know how those felt and I want my city to feel that way and, yeah, the, I will, and the people I, will, I, I care about to feel ha- that I, way. I will be very happy for Kansas City if the Royals win a championship because Kansas City is a tortured sports town. But at the same time, I'll be happy as hell for Queens if uh, if the Mets win the championship because that's a pretty tortured fan base too. All right, All right Jeff, get some sleep. Thanks for doing this, and uh, we'll talk when the book comes out, right? Sounds like a plan to me. All right, bud. Talk to you soon. See ya. All right, I want to thank whoever we just talked about the World Series with. Probably Jeff Passan. Uh, I don't know. He's a good sport like that, but I feel bad. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, book club real quick. All right, Don. Yeah. Make sure I don't burn any bridges here. Uh-oh. The 2015 Best American Sports Writing Edition is out, and it's edited by Wright Thompson. <laughs> we had a million and people we could talk to this about. We were- I'm going to be honest that we're probably not going to talk to Wright Thompson. Okay. And the reason is because I've emailed the person in charge of PR for ESPN, okay. the magazine, which is what this guy runs, several times, and she has not responded to me. Mm-hmm. So I guess she's saying no. So is that going to be our book still? I mean, it's always kind of been our yeah, book. Yeah, I mean, it's our book. I still think you should get it. And I think probably next week I'm going to call Tim, Tim Graham, Graham and see yeah. if he wants to be the guy to talk about it. He's so and we'll good on Twitter. Talk about his piece, and we'll talk about him on Twitter, and that'll be that. So, yeah. So, I guess Wright Thompson's not coming on. Yeah. But hey, it's happened before. Michael Wilbon didn't come on. Right. That guy who edited it from Yale, who said he'd be on after his Italian book club tour, and then just never emailed me ever again. He didn't come on either. But it's just it's frustrating because last year the interview was so good with Christopher McDougall. Yeah. And I just thought. 
he was a guy I thought we'd never get, and we did. And right. It's never shocking to me the people we don't get until I think of the people that we do have on the show yeah. on a regular basis. Like, unless that person really does no legwork as far as, like, oh, let me look up this podcast. Oh, they've had Jane Levy. Oh, they've had Jeff Passan. Oh, they've had... Uh, Peter King. Peter King. Like, anybody like that. Rich like, Eisen. Then it seems surprising to me that the person wouldn't even think. Like, I'm not being a jerk here, yeah, but I don't, I don't know the editor. Yeah. That name doesn't ring a bell. I don't know their work, so... Yeah, I guess he's not coming on. Yeah. Uh, but we're adding a book, and it's one I'm very excited about. Take Your Eye Off the Puck, How to Watch Hockey by Knowing Where to Look is by Greg Wyshynski. Uh The Puck Daddy, a new book, uh, just came out. Um, or actually, I think the official release date is like November 1st, but All right. with books, they kind of trickle into the stores, and people right, have right. been tweeting to him that they got the book here or got the book there. So uh, I talked to Jeff on text yesterday. So I just kind of learned about the book and told him about what we do with books, and he's all about it. And I emailed the – he got the contact at the publisher, and we did that, and books are coming, and hopefully we'll have one to give away. And then Greg will be on soon to talk about Take Your Eye Off the Puck, How to Watch Hockey by Knowing Where to Look. So I don't know much about it yet, but I'll tell you more next week. Hopefully I'll have a copy by then. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and do something different with Eddie Trunk. All right, our next guest is from New Jersey and is the host of that metal show. He also has a show on Sirius XM, a show on radio that's nationally syndicated in New York City, and a podcast. So he's got about one of everything. Uh, and he's making his first appearance on the podcast today. A Warren Sportscasters, welcome to Eddie Trunk. How are you doing today, Eddie? Good, Steve. Thanks for having me. You know, you guys are bringing the show to Buffalo soon, and to Syracuse, actually, which is not very far. Um, what What is this going to be? What I don't know what to expect. I think a lot of people don't, don't. It's not exactly a TV taping. Like back in the 80s when you went to wrestling, they'd always advertise it's a TV taping, and you kind of you get a feel of what that might be if you went to the wrestling. But this isn't that, but it's sort of the show, but different, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely not, it's not the show. Uh, We have to be clear about that all the time when we've been doing this for a few years now and want to make sure that people know that when they're coming, that they're not coming to a taping of that metal show. Uh, It just happens to be the three guys from that metal show. And uh, it's more or less a stand-up comedy show. I'm not a comedian, but Don and Jim are stand-up comics. So they do stand-up. I host the show tell some funny stories, do some Q&A, and do some Stump the Trunk with prizes. And, uh, you know, we come out together. Uh, We start out coming out individually, and then we all come out together at the end. And, you know, it certainly has the spirit of that metal show because it's all three of us, and some of the, you know, my stories are all music-related, and some of the stand-up that Don and Jim do are related to the show and music as well. So, uh, it's just a fun show, but it, it, really what it is is it's kind of you know pretty much right in line with the stand-up comedy show sort of thing with certainly a slant towards our audience. Now, I assume that it's got to get pretty crazy during the stub in the trunk because my guess is that on the show, those questions are vetted to some degree, and you still get a little angry and heated sometimes at the validity of, the validity of them. I have to imagine that the live show gets a little silly with some of the things people try to stump you with. 
Yeah, well, completely. I mean, I'm I'm honest about the fact that uh, I, I talk about Sump the Trunk in the live show and tell that story, actually, and how it came to be. But I'm honest about the fact that the, the questions... The questions have to be screened out um, during the TV show because it's the only way that we can um, make sure that the answers are accurate and that the question is accurate. So those people are not asking questions that they want to ask. They're asking questions that they've been assigned, Uh, not because I know the answers in advance, but because the producers need to check everything out first. But, you know, on the TV show, they love to, to... tell me I'm wrong when I'm right or vice versa just to kind of make me get crazy because they love that reaction from me and I get that and that's all part of the fun of doing the bit um, but yeah live it's anything can happen you know I, I do a version of this show where I I do it on my own without Don and Jim and that's a very different show because it's not a stand-up show at all it goes in a totally different direction and there's a lot more time spent on telling stories and I do an extended sort of stump the trunk thing and yeah, it gets pretty crazy, but people really, you know, enjoy winning, try, having a chance to win some prizes and, you know, getting into it. And even if it does go off the rails and get stupid in a live setting, that's, you know, that's kind of the fun of it. So why not? Now, I'm a pretty big fan of, uh, I'm a huge fan of that battle show. I've seen, you know, all of them. And I'm a big fan of Jim and, uh, and yourself. And I listen to your podcast. And I got to say that. Someone listened to, I think it was the last podcast that Jim did, maybe the one before that. It felt like he kind of came out, he didn't say that there wasn't going to be that metal show anymore, but he sure painted a pretty grim picture. I don't know if you heard the clip, but he kind of said something along the lines of, uh, look, it's up to them, they own it, and if it doesn't happen again, hey, we did eight years, and it was really good. It just had a really strange feel to the way he just sort of uh threw that out there what are, what are your what are your what's your understanding right now of the future of that metal show well i haven't heard i haven't i didn't hear what jim said but what he said what you're telling me he said is accurate i mean it's been like that since the beginning um people don't i, I mean people really one of the things that uh, is is surprising to me is people just they don't get the fact that we have nothing to do with it, um, that, that we have been in these situations for 14 times. Uh, and listen, I understand people don't fully get the way radio, uh, I'm sorry, the way TV works, but it, it's pretty, it, it, one of the most stunning things to me is that, first of all, people think that I personally control everything. I, I can't tell you how many people think that I make every decision, whether the show goes on, where it's shot, when it's shot, how long it is, who the guests are. I mean, yeah, I, I have a little more say than, than anyone, anybody else because it was my baby. But at the same token, um, the network controls everything. Um, they make every single decision. They make every decision if the show continues, how many shows we do, how often we do it, where we do it. They approve, even though I book most of the guests, they approve the guests. So every time when we finish a season of the show, uh, we go into this limbo period where we don't know what's going to happen. And we're basically just, you know, waiting for them to call. And when that happens, 
we all go and do our other stuff. Those guys are out doing stand-up constantly, and I'm out doing my shows. We do shows together. I go back to doing what I've always done, which is my two radio shows and now my podcast and maybe writing a third book. We all go back into our worlds and, and do what we have to do and hope that they call and hope that they want to do more. They've called and wanted to do more 14 times over eight years. We're in that period now where we don't know. So it's just being honest with the audience. If it was up to me, I would do the show every single week. Uh, I never take off. It's not up to us. So it just gets frustrating after a while because, you know, fans think that sometimes we control this stuff and they get frustrated. Well, guess what? We're frustrated too because we'd love to do the show on a more regular basis, but we don't make that call. So we can't worry about and can't control what other people do, and I think that's kind of where Jim is coming from with that tone. After a while, don't, don't get me wrong, we appreciate the hell out of people caring about the show, wanting to see more episodes, but we're in the same boat, and it's just maddening because we can't do anything about it. So it's kind of always been like that. If, people want, if they want to do more, great. If they don't want to do more, hey, it's been a great run, and uh, you know we'll figure out what we're going to do next. Certainly hope there's going to be more, and I've had, I had a meeting with the show's producer last week in New York, so I, I would f- hardly say it's not a dead issue, but, you know, we just don't know. Right. And, the, and I the see other the frustration thing, there, for sure. It, what's that? I could see the frustration with having to deal with yeah, that Yeah, it's gone sure. on yeah. forever, yeah. and I'll tell you what, we, we, did, uh, we did last season, last year, uh, in 2014, we only did 12 episodes the entire year. This year, we did 12 episodes so far, and we haven't done any more yet. And now, with it being mid-October and no shooting plans, I mean, it's very unlikely we're going to do it. We'll probably do another year of just 12 episodes. So it's insanely frustrating because there's so much opportunity. There's so many things I'd love to be doing, but it's just out of my control. And uh, when they call, great. And if they, when they call, we go, and we can't wait to do it. And if they don't call, then we just continue doing what we're doing, and that's kind of the mode that we're at right now. So we'll see what the future holds. There's definitely some changes in the air at the network, um, how that all plays out. Yeah, he did mention that, too, I think, as sort of part of it, that things are changing at the network. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So how that all plays out and where things go um, is anyone's guess. But we're just going to let it ride out and, and see, and then when we have a definitive uh a definitive uh, answer will we'll go from there. Well, one thing people can count on weekly is your podcast. And I actually at the time did uh, write to you on Twitter and you did uh, respond. It was the interview that you did with Alex uh, Lifeson from Rush uh, for for the podcast was just so perfectly done if you're a Rush fan because, you know, anytime a band that you love is is out there and kind of doing press and you consume it, uh, sometimes you sigh and you feel like, oh, I can't believe that person got that time and that's what they used it for, uh, which I'm sure like fans of you right now are doing like sighing with me right now, saying I can't believe you're wasting this time like this. Uh, but you were the perfect guy because the questions that I think the fan base wanted answered, uh, you just seemed to ask them in the perfect way and you really got a great response from Alex at the time, I think. And I'm pretty sure it was before you had seen the show that night as well. Yes. When you left the show, did you get the same feeling I did that there's just no way that that can really be it, that those guys just 
yeah, that might be it for 25 city shows in a three-month period or whatever, but there's just something about no matter what they say off the stage, when they get on, there's a feeling there that they can only create that way and that they'll never be able to totally walk away from that? Well, I don't know. Um, I appreciate your, your your comments about the interview, first of all, and it was done prior to seeing the show, and those guys have been great to me over the years. They were one of the first guests on that metal show, and Getty came back on the most recent season. So, you know, those guys, have, even though I'm a, you know, beyond being a fan of the band, those guys are just some of the really best people that I've had the chance to know and work with over the decades. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, time stops for nobody. And uh, I think those guys are dealing with some stuff. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Neil is in a totally different place than the other guys as far as him interested in touring. I think that Alex, I think that Alex is probably to me seems like if you if you heard in that interview I did with him when I mentioned the arthritis he kind of got a little not upset but he just said he actually said I wish I never mentioned this yeah arthritis he got a little thing. defensive about it yeah, yeah because yeah. he I guess he's tired of hearing about it and he also was very clear in that interview that he that that you know he specifically said if the band stops that's not going to be the reason um, that being said, later on in the, when I watched that show, I watched a few times, he shook his hand out. He was in the middle of playing guitar, and he shook his hand off the neck a little bit, like as if he you know, had a, a twinge or something. So listen, it's a real problem, and I get that you know, maybe he's a little tired of talking about it, and he you know, made Rolling Stone and all that, and he's just kind of had enough of it already. But you know, that's a real issue if you're a guitar player and you've got to play chords, you know, play, that, play the neck of a guitar. So... It's just a it's just a tough time. I think they're just a little bit they don't know where they want to go and what they want to do. The only thing that's pretty obvious is that Getty Lee is full on right, and do does it. not want to stop. And again, if you listen very closely to the interview I did with with uh with Alex, he even alludes to that. He said, Yeah, well Getty's feeling great and he's got himself in great shape and he you know, but there's there are two other guys in this band and we have to see what what works for everybody. So um, I, I don't think, and, and listen, credit Rush too because they're such good people. They they didn't, you know, they're not playing the farewell card, and they're going to come back out. They're not that kind of band. They've said that to me more than one time. They're not the kind of band that's going to play a farewell card. It's just not their nature. It's not what they're about. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't think they'll ever not play again, but I, I'd be su- surprised if they did something again to the scale of what we saw with that R40 tour. I think if they do something again, it would be more of like, a, as they mentioned, maybe a residency. Yeah, it was interesting up. to me because he was like, he, he s- described doing a residency and then sort of later said, but we'd never be one of those bands that just set up in Vegas. So it's like, okay, if they do a residency, we, could, we know that it won't be in Vegas. So I think they view playing the shows in Vegas is something different than maybe what a residency could be in Toronto or Los Angeles or wherever they might feel comfortable doing it. Well, he specifically mentioned New York. I don't know if they're, you know, what the, because they're in Toronto, so that's not that far away. But what I reminded him was that Neil lives in LA and Neil is, if, if Neil's priority is being home, Vegas is an hour flight, a four hour car drive from LA. 
And that's when he's like, oh, yeah, that's true. It just seemed to me, when I brought up Vegas, it just seemed to me like he, I guess maybe they're not, they don't like Vegas, they're not a fan of the city, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just, that's the logical place, because it's so transient. A lot of people do do residencies there. Right. I'm, I'm, I happen to be a huge fan of the town, but I, maybe it's not for everybody, I don't know. But, you know, I, I think anything's possible. You know, I just read a new interview with them in Classic Rock magazine about the last show they did at the Forum, and, you know, there seemed to be a level of finality there with that. But their manager was saying in that same interview that he's talking to them and in time he's going to present to them some options of things they can do that would not involve being on the road but still being an active band. So Russia's fan base is such that I think people would pretty much, they sit up and played somewhere for a month or whatever, uh, People would come. Yeah, know, everyone people would travel sure, to them. Make sure to do it at least once. The sportscasts yeah. are here with Eddie Trunk. We're finishing out, running out of time. Nice of him to join us at all. Um, I definitely, definitely want to uh, get all the plugs for him in Buffalo and where you can find his other stuff. We'll get to that in a second. You mentioned, um, you mentioned them not playing the uh, the uh, the farewell card and Motley Cruiser band playing that card, and I couldn't believe when I found out that they came through here at Buffalo the other night and played a farewell show without Tommy Lee. And uh, from what I heard, it was when you walked in the building, that's when you found out, and they weren't they weren't offering any condolences to anyone or any refunds. Um, they actually played with, I guess, the drummer from, uh, from the Alice Cooper band or whatever, and he did the best he could. But, man, I can't believe that a band that, that's been playing that card for as long as they have now. They played another farewell tour here like a summer ago and squeezes every penny out of it that they can would, uh, would leave the fan base hanging like that and do one of the shows without arguably the most important member of the band. Yeah. You know, I caught some, uh, calls on my satellite radio show just this past Monday about that. Uh, it even got on the radar of Alice's guitar player, uh, uh, this woman, Nita, who's a, a friend of mine, and she was just hitting me on Twitter about it last night and getting into it with some fans. Not in a bad way, just hearing the back and forth about it. You know, but I guess it's been about four shows now that he's missed, and um, the fans, the, the thing, the fan that called me on my radio show Monday and kind of vented about it, he was upset because he paid a lot of money for his seat with the intention of seeing Tommy, that was the main reason. It was his favorite member of the band. He wanted to see the whole drum thing going on. And to his his thing was he understands them continuing and still doing the shows if they can't be rescheduled. But he was upset that they didn't at least announce it in advance and offer people a refund if, in fact, they wanted that. They did, right. that there was no refund option. And I understand that. I understand a fan being upset about that. If you paid a lot of money for a ticket and, you know, your favorite member is Tommy Lee and you show up and the guy's not there, uh, I understand you feeling upset about that. But, listen, this is big business, and uh, these guys are going to, you know, they're going to get their last run out of you, you know, and, and if this truly is the last run, they're going to make sure that they they get, you know, they're not going to refund it because the drummer's not there. Uh, I, I, I feel that that, I, I think there's, that should be an option. I think that you should be able to, I don't think many people would take it, to be honest with you. You know, last chance to see Motley Crue, I think most people would still say, oh, it's, 
it's unfortunate Tommy's injured or whatever's going on. But, but hey, um, we're here. We're here, so that's a joy. But but if you yeah. don't want it, if you don't want to come in, well, you know, go to the box office and you get your money back. I mean, I think that you should do that. I mean, on a much 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 tinier level, uh, of course, I'll tell you that I'm, we're doing a show in New Jersey this Saturday. Uh, that me, Don, and Jim, like the ones we're doing in Syracuse and Buffalo, that we're doing together. And Jim, at the last minute, has a schedule thing come up, and he can't be at the show. So not only did we announce that, but we also are telling people, hey, it's just going to be Don and I. We hope you still come and have fun with us, but we understand if you don't. And if you don't, you can refund your ticket and get your money back and not come. If you want to come, we'll be there. We're going to do some extra time, and we'll have fun with you guys. So you ha- I think you have to do that. I think that's only fair. Um, again, I'm talking about a stupid little club comedy show, but it's all relative to, right. you know, to that thing. I, I think that when something changes to that level on a lineup, I think it's only fair that you offer people an opportunity uh, to still come. And Glenn Sobel, who's Alice's drummer, who's filling in for for who's filling in on when Tommy can't play, is a great drummer. Uh, I'm sure he's doing a great job on uh, playing the, the shows. But that's not the point. It's not about Glenn. It's about the fact that. Yeah, you're supposed to be seeing this band in their final run, and Tommy's such a big part of that band and, and has so many fans that it's kind of hard when you're, if that's what you really was paying to see and you're getting something else. Well, Eddie Trunk is on Twitter. He's at Eddie Trunk there. You can hear his podcast uh, on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever you consume podcasts. It comes out weekly. Uh, the my, show- my podcast is at uh, podcast1.com. That's, it's podcast1.com. If you just search there, there's a page with all of my podcasts, including the most recent one, but a lot of the archives, it pretty much goes back to the beginning. There's probably like 70 of them up there right now. Uh, so you can get it at podcast1.com, and you can also just get it on iTunes if you just search my name. The show in Buffalo is on Friday, November 13th at The Waiting Room, uh, which is pretty much right in the heart of the party district downtown. Uh, Syracuse is the next day at the Palace Theater, uh, which I, I I'm almost positive I've seen the Tragically Hip there once. I'm pretty sure I know that place. And uh, you can find more dates at eddietrunk.com, uh, just naming a few of them here, uh, where you can also find links to uh, Eddie's books and all the other all the other things. Kind of you to give us the time. Really appreciate it, Eddie. Uh, last thing, just a yes or no. Do you think that there's going to be a Guns N' Roses tour in 2017 with most of the members of the band? 2017? Yeah, that would be the year, right? That it would be would make sense the 30th year, right? Wasn't? Uh, yeah, I guess if you looked at it that way, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of people are hoping for it be happening next year, but okay, I, I don't know. Year. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I'm purely spe- I, I. Yeah, totally. Your the, gut. What's your gut call say? My gut is that I have said consistently that there will be a reunion. At some point, whether it's in 2017 or not, I don't know. But the reason why I've said that consistently is because I think it's too big of a reunion not to happen. And these guys are still relatively young enough to pull it off. I mean, they're still around 50 or whatever. So we're not talking about guys like Led Zeppelin who are 70 or what might be breaking down. So I think it's realistic and I think it's possible. And I think that these guys are young enough to pull it off. But there's so many dynamics and egos in place and issues that have to be resolved that I can't say for sure that it's going to happen. I don't know. My thing is, is that it could have, you know, when you're dealing with a band like Guns N' Roses, I mean, this, this could have been, this could have been set to happen this year and one little thing could derail it. 
it could it could be uh, it could it could get derailed. Very you want to get to one so, of those first shows? <laughs> they they announce it. Get there get there early. Don't don't wait for the last one. Oh, uh, I I've said <laughs> I've said all along. If you're gonna go, and you really need to see this, and there's so many people that apparently do. Um, yeah. Yeah, make sure early. you go. Make sure you go to the first one because who knows if there will be another one. Eddie, thanks so much for the time. Anything else you wanted to put out, plug wise? At Eddie Drunk on Twitter and EddieDrunk.com. Uh, probably the best. No, no, I'm good. All, all, all my uh, you can see all my appearances are on the homepage of the site, and uh, yeah, I, I I hope to see everybody out there in that area. I haven't been in that area in a long time, so I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. See you in a few weeks. Thanks, man. All right, I want to thank our guest on the podcast today, Eddie Trunk, from that metal show. That was fun. Cool to do that, something different. You can find this week's podcast and all of our podcasts, uh, the whole library of them on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find them on uh, Stitcher and iTunes and all the places where podcasts can be found. Maybe it's a leap for me, but I like to assume when someone like Eddie Trunk comes on, it means that... uh his boy went back and gave us a good word. Florentine? Florentine. Yeah. yeah Jim Florentine, yeah. I mean, we've had Florentine on now two Twice. or three times. Yeah. yeah so, I, I don't know. I like to think that we're being talked about when they're not here. I know that that has happened. Like, I absolutely know for sure that the first time Michael Fabiano came on, it was because Dave Damashek told him to. Okay. That's an example of where I reached out and... We almost had a serious XM gig at one point yeah, because with, of something similar yeah, to that. Yeah. Then the station. They decided they'd rather close down not the have entire a station at all. station yeah. than have us. That was better than just someone saying we're not going to have us because in the end it was like, well, we didn't do anything wrong. Right, we shut yeah. down the station. What could we do? Yeah, we had no chance to fail. Uh, you can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com and you can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters or at Don Lake Sports. All right, my quick thing to com- – Finish my uh, Bills whining. Uh, I didn't like the pass interference call. And the one thing that makes me think of is pass interference or what is a uh, what is a catch. It seems like it comes down to a moment like that in all these big moments, one in a football, or just big moments of the game. Why is pass interference not reviewable? I know they talked about that. I know why. I mean, there's a real simple cliched reason. Because, because they it's don't, a judgment. Right. They don't want to review judgment. But isn't that isn't the ref? All you got to do is say, was there pass? I don't know. I guess I didn't think out an argument for this really well. But you're talking about plays where it's the only 45 yard penalty you can receive in a game. To me, pass interference should be a really clearly defined rule that you should be able to look at tape and say, did the thing in the rule occur? The same way with a fumble or a catch. Right. Like, to me, pass interference should be... See, but the problem is is that some, it, the, the way the, word, the rule is worded is something like when a player impedes with another player's ability to catch the ball, and that can be very uh, subjective to the person looking at it. Here's the way I guess I would do it, then, is you throw the flag for pass interference, and if it's a judgment call then it's on that referee to change his judgment. The ref that threw the flag is the one that reviews the play. So he'd have to overturn himself. himself. Okay. Because, I mean, (laughs) right, there's going to be some pride involved (laughs) there. But these guys are watching this game 
with the fastest people on the planet running by them and hitting each other and sparring with each other as they run down the field and catch the ball or don't catch the ball in a pass interference situation. And we all have the benefit of watching the play 75 times on replay afterward. I just feel like I feel like they're too important of calls. Either that or you just make it a 15-yard penalty, but then people are going to be tackling people down the field. Too. Right. So That's one of the great debates of football because college does interfer- it the one way. And, right. It's, just, it's such a vital – pass interference in the end zone gives you four more shots at the end zone. Like, it's just it's too tough. It's it's too tough a call. Games are changed on it too often. I know it's a judgment. You want to make everything black and white, but you've tried making what is a catch black and white for a million years, and, and they nobody made it worse. knows. Yeah. And and the thing about is it doesn't have to be pass interference. It was in that case, but on that third and fifteen, it could have been contact, or it could have been holding, well, and it's right. still a first down. Maybe you don't right. go as far. Right. Obviously, you only go the four five yards, but it wouldn't have been the fourth and fifteen like you would have thought. And look at this year, more than any year I've ever watched a sport, every game I watch, there's so many flags. Yep. On my team, on the team my team is playing, on the team that I don't care about that's playing right. yep. against the team, there's so many flags in every game. I can't remember. And sometimes it feels like in the flow of that game, one of the teams is getting more of them. Sometimes it feels like both of the teams are getting screwed, but ultimately it's whatever the biggest one is that's the one that we all remember and focus on, which is maybe sort of unfair and unrealistic because... Yeah, that's probably human nature to a point. You know, uh, if you're going to call 24 of them, and then the only one you're going to talk about in the end is whatever the most important quote-unquote is, that's sort of unfair because what if those... Maybe that crew was 23 out of 24. Right, right. You know, or maybe they were actually uh, 12 of 24, and the Bills got like nine of the 12 that were wrong. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's just, there's so many right now. You did a thing in an interview. I, I don't know what you do. I, I don't know. I can't remember who you were talking to off the top of my head, but you did a thing in an interview where after every scoring play, after every, like, it's delayed you, reaction. You, you now. can't jump yeah. up and down or mm-hmm. anything like that because. I remember, I think it was maybe in this game, the Bills had a big play. Because I remember I was watching with my parents. So it must have been this last game. I was at my dad's house. Something happened. We're all, like, everyone's cheering. And I said, no, wait. They they called yep. something. They called yep. uh, offsides. Or, or something. it's like, well, that's a scoring play, so they're going to review it no matter what. Or, right, right. oh, that's a turnover. Well, all those are reviewed. Or it's, uh, you look, is that? Yellow graphic up there. Is there a flag somewhere? It's almost like the players feel it, though, too. If you see a guy score a touchdown, he celebrates, turns around and looks back, and then it's like, oh, man. like because he sees No, and third down incompletions are huge for this because it's like, oh, yes, we got, we're off the field. Oh, nope, he did throw it. It's going to be contact or interference or. The right. third down Some of them feel like they come in so late. Too. Yeah, and a lot of times it's not because they're late. It's because the guy can't get it out. Or, right, he's got to run knows. down the field. Yeah, right. I so. Yeah, I, I don't want – Football is so slow to begin with. and It's easy to mock because you score a touchdown, you go to commercial, you kick an extra point, you go to commercial, That's you the kick worst. the ball. Yeah. So, I mean, like I don't want another thing to slow down the flow of the game. But pass interference is the only call in football that can net you what it can net you. And it's literally 99 not, yards. Yeah. But it's not, if you can throw it that far. I sure. Guess, yeah. Right. All right. Uh, one last thing, sort of on a lighter note. Remember when I was in college, I uh, hadn't seen Fargo, the movie yet. Okay. 
And so that's by the Coen brothers. Yep. And I would always hear this thing, like, from, like, cool film. Like, I was taking this film class over the summer. Okay. To, like, get a – it was, like, just get to, like, some college credit on an easy class, and it was about film, right? And, like, the kids in the class were real serious about it, and they'd be like, yeah, man, Fargo is great and all, but, like, Barton Fink is obviously, like, the Coen Brothers' best movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, or it's like, no, Raising Arizona was, or, oh, it's – Oh, brother, we're out there. Yeah, everything yeah. but Fargo, which is obviously, like, critically – Considered the best, okay? So I would just hear this thing, like, no, is it that good? So it was probably, like, the sixth or seventh Coen Brothers movie I've seen. Mm-hmm. And I finally seen it, and I was like, no, that's the best one. Oh, because yeah. that's I, I, that movie is amazing. The way that people talk, the way that uh, Buscemi is in it, the wood chipper. And yeah, I have to watch it again. The I, drama I, of I've it. I've seen it, but it it's, hasn't been a, it's been a really long amazing. time. Amazing. And I regretted that I waited so long to watch it. Well, when I heard that they were going to have a show sort of based on the movie that was also going to be called Fargo, I almost didn't watch it right away. Uh, but this time I said, I'm not going to make that mistake again. And God damn it, is it not one of the best freaking really? shows ever made. Are you into the second season yet? It's the third episode I think I've seen. Okay, so you're caught up. So I, the third one aired last night. I haven't watched that. So okay. I saw the first two. Uh, it airs Monday at 10. Tammy goes to bed at 10. It's it's one of those shows I wish I never got her into because I got to wait till Tuesday yeah, to watch yeah. it because uh, she's in bed by then. But uh, it's it's so good. And here's the thing about TV now is that there's so many shows that people say they're so good mm-hmm. because the, the medium has really improved, right? So, like, you have to make a decision. All right, now it's, I guess I'll watch Breaking Bad now or it's all right, now I'll watch Walking Dead. Or, nope, now I'll watch this. I'm telling you now, Fargo is one. Don't get too far behind. All right. If you can get in. And by the way, you didn't. You could have never seen a second of season one, and you can watch season yeah, two. That's what I was They doing. have. They have no, nothing to do with each other. The, they did the True Detective thing. Yes, and they've crushed True Detective in it. Yeah, I mean, that kind of was a punchline the second season. The second season of True Detective was a bust. The second season of Fargo, two episodes in, it's amazing. There's just a certain part. Of entering that world that's just so cool. Now, I've never watched a show like that where they just throw away the cast after one season. Does it still feel like the same show? It does. Oh, that's cool. You know, I think the region helps. Okay, Because you just, you feel like you're in that part of the world, but literally this time. Uh Like, you're literally in that part of the country again. Are the Coen brothers involved? I don't know. I'm sure they have to give them some kind of credit, but I don't know to what extent. But the show is, it's my highest recommendation. Just 